0: This is efficiency on demand. On demand. High performance. Leadership. People think overwhelm, craziness. Craziness. No time. No time. No fun. No fun. Just work, 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 work. It's time to slow down, to speed up. You owe more to yourself. This is efficiency on demand with Monique. Monique is a high-performance and leadership specialist. During the show, Monique and her guests will share the harsh truth behind their success stories, what it means to perform on a high level and to be a leader in this world. It's time to take control of your time and live life limitless. This is Efficiency on Demand, and this is your host, Monique.
1: Welcome back to Efficiency on Demand, everyone. Today, I have a really powerful guest. I bet you want to listen and stick with us through this whole episode because his story is just as crazy as mine, I want to say, just in a very different way. But, you know, as we say in Thailand, same, same, but different. I follow him quite a while. That sounds really like a stalker. But anyways, I follow him uh, for quite a (laughs) while. on social media i love his impact i love how he presents himself how he shows up i love what his wife is doing i invited her to i just wanna uh send a little reminder that way that she should be coming on my show too and okay <laughs> and yeah i just wanna say hello to cody Jefferson and thank you so much for having time for us today
2: hey good morning or good evening wherever we're at in the world yeah. uh, it's great to be here <laughs>
1: Yeah, thank you so much for coming on the show. Tell everyone, please, who are you and what are you doing?
2: Yeah, so what a broad question. So my name is Cody Jefferson. And what am I doing currently? Well, currently, I just finished making breakfast because I'm a dad and a husband. So first and foremost, that's what I do the most. Outside of that, we're all telling stories, right? And so for the past nearly 20 years, I have helped individuals, organizations tell better stories. And so uh, for me, that looks like walking alongside again high impact individuals, whether that be executives, CEOs, uh, entrepreneurs, and also organizations, corporations, and helping them again learn what it means to lead better.
1: I love that. Stories are really powerful. I, over the last two days, I actually told the story of how I started my business because it was one of those stories that you read and you're like oh hell no this can't be true and it's just when I look back I just read it myself and I'm like oh really this is what happened Monique <laughs> like you've you've been in that situation so it's really uh, powerful and um I want to know where this all started for you so walk me through a little bit how you got actually into storytelling but also realizing how powerful your own story is
2: yeah. Well, and let me flip the script on you for a second because was it, did you find it difficult or empowering? Maybe you shared your story enough now, but did you find it more liberating than you thought you would in sharing? Because I read your story and mm-hmm. very, very powerful, uh, very traumatic. And do you find that there's a release when you share more of your story like that?
1: So it's a very interesting question because right now, when I share parts of this story, For me, it's not a release for myself, but I really hope that I can help people understand no matter where you're coming from or no matter what cards you've been handed in life, but you have the ability and you have the option to choose to play those cards so you can actually still win. And so I am very aware of how privileged i am to have been born as a white woman in east germany and i still have had cards in my life handed to me that were not an ace (laughs) and so and so i did have to learn how to deal these cards and i think as you said storytelling is really powerful but if i'm not sure which parts of the stories you read but the the way how I started my business was sharing the story of how I realized that I have to step up my life game by sharing my story about my rape. And it was the very first time that I talked about it. And the way I talked about it was writing an article that kind of went not really viral, but half viral, like in one day, 1000 people read it that I didn't know. But also all of my friends ex-colleagues my family and everyone read it and only five out of those 100 people that i knew that read it actually knew about that and that freaked the heck out of me so yeah yeah (laughs) i'm not sure if that yeah
2: there's something (laughs) yeah there's something to being known isn't there that we're, we're so good at, at being seen, right? We live in a, a platform of social media where everything can look perfect and scripted. And we're able to then, you know, create a persona or an avatar of who we want people to perceive us as. But then as we kind of take the mask off and we go back to layers and we say, hey, this is actually what's been experienced by me, in me, through me, whether the result of my actions or inactions or something that I had control over, or no control over, what I do have control over is how I respond and how I share. And so, yes, in reading that, uh, very impressed one by your ability to tell your own story, but two, just the amount of courage that it takes to to step into that kind of vulnerability—that I think is really one rare on one on on a side of the coin, but on the other side is absolutely needed, especially now when even through the midst of. A global pandemic there's there's still like a collected front that like oh everything is fine and it's it's good to let people know that yeah like i've experienced this i've gone through this this is what adversity looks like for me and if i can overcome this then you can overcome the season that you're walking through so just wanted to commend you for that but for me thank you absolutely the story started and i won't go too far back just for the sake of time (laughs) but let me take you back to early 90s and i was raised by my grandparents uh, for a great deal of my of my middle adolescent like fifth grade up and when you're raised by grandparents it's it's a different culture right they they have a different way in which they've experienced life and uh, it's a it's a different way of being brought up mm-hmm. and my grandparents were heavily involved in the church my grandfather was a deacon traveled singing southern baptist music and a a really rich upbringing of stories. My grandfather was a storyteller and lived an amazing life. And we talk about legacy. This is a man who had no, this is no social media, anything. This was a guy who was up at 4.30 every morning taking care of himself and taking care of his family. And that to me was such an amazing story that he was living out in real time. And everything that he, he taught me was it revolved around stories Mm. and so I started to learn early on the power of the story when I was 18 I got involved with a church here locally and started working for the church and and that ended up being a 13-year career and all telling stories and recognizing that everyone has a story they're just waiting for someone to listen. As I said earlier, like we're so dead, like we, we want to be seen, right? Like everybody, like we're settling for being seen when really we're desperate to be known. And then you put a story out like yours and you wonder, ah, okay, now they know me. Are they, are they still going to think the same is, is what they think about me going to change? Am I going to have the same respect? Are they going to look at me as damaged or wounded? Like where are we going? Like there's a vulnerability to this and for me, stepping into the space that I'm in now, three and a half years ago, walked through a fairly traumatic season. Right, I, I went through a, a very uh, public divorce as a pastor. I I lost eight family members and friends all to various murders and suicides and overdoses. I mean, it was just a crazy season. And in the midst of that, still trying to show up for everyone which led to a really unhealthy relationship and balance with affirmation addiction and trying to prove my worth when I was just empty inside. And there was just too much trauma happening at once. Like you couldn't cope with all of it. So you cope with it through working more and burying everything. In 2016, I ended up going septic. My body shut down due to the stress. So adrenal failure, hormonal shutdown, thyroid scramble, 106 fever, like dying, going septic. And it was in that moment that I recognized that... I can't i can't do this anymore like i'm so busy trying to help everyone else tell a better story that i'm literally extinguishing my own and so i stepped out of ministry looked for something to walk me through a process couldn't find anything so i created it and now forty-three hundred men later here we are and so it's uh, it's been a really beautiful season again of helping Extraordinary men and women tell better stories Uh, for me. I've always been a storyteller. It's what I love It's what I know the most. It's all I've ever done and Recognizing that when it comes down to it, all we're really talking about is effective communication And so with teams with relationships with parenting and kids and business it all comes down to what are we communicating? What are we delivering?
1: I love that and it's such a powerful story in itself, but also I think you, you put the finger something, this vulnerability, I that was something I literally just kicked this off without even knowing what I'm doing there and how much anxiety it's going to give me. And I never, ever felt anxiety before. It's really interesting what happened there when I published this article basically. And yeah, it's really crazy what stories can do, how we can impact others, but also how it's like flipping back on us as you as you say we basically can change our own perception by changing the perception of others about us because i think was it i remember the quote but i don't remember the guy's name every time it's so the quote goes like this you're not who you think you are you're not who you think i think you are you are Who you think I think you think you are
2: That's some inception stuff right there. Yeah, that's that's deep
1: right I forgot the name of the guy but (laughs) I'll add it later to to the show notes for you guys But so this is really powerful when I read this quote. I was like Wow, this is literally exactly how it works because if And you just said it right the thoughts that I had was exactly like, how will everyone else's thoughts about me change now that they know I got raped? And the first thing actually that I was thinking about others thinking about me was that they probably gonna think it's my fault and I'm dumb because that's what I was told for all the time. And that's why I didn't speak about it for over six years. And it took me as long to even literally convinced myself not even believing convincing that it was my fault and so now it started all over again right and yeah it's really really powerful how this can all just change and flip the script basically so when you got out of your when you basically started this whole process what was your approach to Thinking, okay, there's nothing out there that helps me. How can I use what I learned from my grandfather To go through all of what just happened to me because trauma is, yeah. I mean
2: Yeah, well, and I think that, that we all reach uh, Catalysts in our lives uh, that that either propel us forward or cause us to retreat, you know mm. pain and loss and suffering, it does that, right? It, it either it, it causes a phoenix to rise from the ashes, or it, it causes us to to retreat and to hide and to blame and project, right? And it's Richard Rohr who says that true contentment is when there is nothing to hide, right? Nothing to prove and nothing to protect. And so, i had been really fortunate to have some really great mentors in my life th- through throughout my entire life, and really really powerful men and women. Uh, who are extraordinary individuals who pour into me and have been very very fortunate for that for me, it was Taking a, an, a look at what I could own, right? So there's a book by Byron Katie called loving what is it's a beautiful framework of really helping you understand what is yours to control and what is yours to let go of so Getting really honest with myself, right in times of trauma and in times of loss. It's really easy to project and to blame mm-hmm. and uh, what that does is it keeps us from confronting, right? The kind of the shadow self. And for me, it was just going on an exploration of why am I this way? Right? Because for as as amazing as my upbringing was, certainly there were things that I was subconsciously taught that I'm unaware of that is, that is creating this infrastructure of, of insecurity of acting out of coping Right? There was a season where I was, I was drinking, and I talk about this uh, very openly, like drinking way too much, live a sober life now, because uh, for me, it's not just one. One turns to five, turns to 10. Like, it's just, I want to elevate the experience all the time. Yeah. And so recognizing, okay, what are these patterns? Right? Because the, the patterns don't lie. Like, I don't care what you say you believe about yourself. Like, show me what you're doing every day, and I'll, re- I'll tell you what you actually believe to be true about yourself. So for me, it was going and looking at all of my habits, all of my patterns, the ways that I was showing up and just making a list like, okay, what's useful? What's not like, what is useful towards, uh, towards the man that I say that I want to become. So every morning asking myself the same question, what needs to die in you today to become the man that you said that you'd be and getting very, very practical about this. Okay. What did I do yesterday that was not useful? How did I react? How did I respond? Where did I feel fear? Where did I feel aggression? Where did I feel? timid where did i feel victorious where did i feel really happy and energetic like really paying attention to those markers and then how i respond to those we have four pillars that embrace the lion head heart health habits how do i treat my thoughts how do i treat my body how do i treat my relationships and how do i treat my time so being respected those things that we can control and recognizing there's a lot that i cannot control and so many of us spend most of our times fighting hypothetical battles future casting a reality that doesn't exist, fighting battles that have no eternal consequence.
1: I love that. And it's really true. Like one thing that I talk about a lot is how reviewing and reassessment is the key to growth. If you don't look at yourself reassessing, if you don't review what you've been doing, you don't know where you're going, right? And so it's basically like as if you put a location into the GPS, but then you just go without looking at the GPS and wondering if you're actually following the path. Yeah. And it's really powerful to also ask the right questions, which obviously you put in a really great process. Mm-hmm. So I love Byron Katie. I love the work, but I think... For some people, especially in the middle of trauma or just just getting out there, it feels it feels flipping back on them. Mm-hmm. And I've been there. I don't want to take myself out of it. If you're sure. still stuck stuck in this c- place of victim, and I don't mean victimhood, because they're like a lot of people who are trashing people online for oh you're stuck in victimhood and blah 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 all of these kind of kindergarten accusing things that I don't think they know the difference between being a victim and being stuck in a place of victimhood because there is a big difference and so if you're still in this phase of being a victim and you don't know how to get out of there how would you explain to someone that they need to take responsibility and how that looks like because for me that was one thing that really felt like actually, again, I was being blamed for what happened. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So, uh, you know, I think we have to really define being a victim. Right? Because so many like you're absolutely right. We get a lot of people saying stop being a victim stop playing the victim Recognize that there's a personal autonomy that has to take place where you own where you are And you may not be able to own what's happened to you But you can definitely own where you are and how you move forward and that's true that's true, but But what we don't take into consideration for those who are, are walking through trauma have experienced some sort of deep trauma Are walking through some sort of really deep transformational pain in their life that they don't know what to do with There is a very real element of self-preservation That puts a hand up to say no, you're not going to get close And that can be misread as being a victim But really what we're talking about here is just the lack of trust and self-protection Because like something in me has been violated in some way And I just want to have both my hands out and I don't want anyone close. That doesn't mean that I want to identify as a victim. That just means I don't want anyone near me right now because I can't make sense of what's happening right now, right? And so the the idea of logical thinking goes out the window because we're so caught in a fight or flight of emotional state of survival. The most important thing you can do in that scenario is one, allow yourself to feel But to be honest with yourself, and what that looks like, and what it's looked like for me, and what it's looked like for those that I walk alongside, is trust. Do you have someone in your life, when we talk about perception, and we talk about reality, and we talk about what is real for me, what is real for me is based on how I perceive the world. And so if I can have someone in my life that I trust, this is why coaches and mentors and counselors are so important. Because if, if I can objectively look at your life and say, hey, I know this is what you're experiencing. and I can imagine why you would experience it this way and feel it this way. Is it possible that we could look at it from this angle. And if we did, what would the implications of looking at it from a 90 degree, 45 degree, 180 what, what would the implications be if we were able to look at this from a different angle, one that you can't currently see right now because you're too close to your own experience, but from somebody who has walked through an experience similar, somebody who has walked through a, an experience that has led to transformation, Can, can we mitigate the pain of your experience to transform it? Because so long as we don't transform pain and we keep going deeper into it, right, what ends up happening is we end up transmitting that pain and we end up pushing it onto other people, whether intentional or unintentional, just by the way that we self-isolate and protect. Right. So again, is there a way that we could take the pain that you're holding so tightly in this fist that it's becoming a weapon because when you when you back a wounded animal into a corner it attacks could we that, could we just work on opening the hand so that we could explore like, what these feelings mean and what they can mean moving forward so for someone that is in the middle of experiencing Transformation, but it doesn't feel like transformation right now. Like everybody loves the idea of the butterfly; they get that shit tattooed on them all the time. <laughs>
1: yeah,
2: love it. But the chrysalis—the the moment of transformation for it's—it's it's from caterpillar to butterfly—is one of the most excruciating transformations in the animal kingdom. The entire body inside the chrysalis liquefies, and it has to be on a cellular level; like it has to be reassembled into something new. It is, it is one of the most painful experiences. So understand like, the pain that you're walking through right now, it doesn't have to be wasted. One of the greater tragedies is that we waste pain. Mm-hmm. We don't learn from it. We don't apply it. Again, and so we just continue to transmit it in future relationships and business endeavors and the ways that we talk about ourselves and treat ourselves with sin. It's just, again, transmitted into everything. So finding someone that you can trust to help give you an objective to, to comfort you, right? Absolutely to see you, to know you, to hold that safe space for you without any agenda of trying to fix anything, but then offering a different lens, a different perspective of how things might be, and then some action steps on, okay, what would it look like to walk toward that idea in that framework? How would that be useful? Right, And how is staying where we are right now, how is that maybe not useful towards the person that we say that we want to become?
1: Yeah, I absolutely love that. I want to dive a little bit into this vulnerability topic. I'm sure you know and probably follow or read Renee Brown. Absolutely. And Mm -hmm. so I follow her also for quite a while. But one thing that really strikes me with her is the difference of how she shows up because it feels like she's in the middle of the process too. And she's Mm -hmm. not just standing there and be like, so I've been there, done that, got the t-shirt and the finger and the coffee mug and here you go. But she's like, oh, by the way, I'm the most imperfect, vulnerable person. And I'm so ashamed of so many things, but here's how I do it. And I don't know if that's helpful for you, but you can try kind of things. I thought it makes her so approachable as well. Sure. And this is really beautiful and powerful. And I think it's helped me a lot just to just to kind of try because when I look back and it's, it's really interesting to see when I look back on, so my own story, because you mentioned it in the beginning, that article was really the first time and I didn't know anything about storytelling, don't know about vulnerability. And all I was just doing was dumping my thoughts and Mm -hmm. dumping everything into a format, which was a blog article. And then I pushed the button and I didn't look at it for three days because I was so afraid. And I was like, whatever, no one will read it anyways, you know, (laughs) until that turned out to be not true. But so I keep it kind of that way. I just dump my brain onto a piece of paper or post or whatever. So I didn't even realize that this is being vulnerable. So... I'm glad I <laughs> I got this at least down somehow. So what would you say to someone like, and I guess you work with a lot of men, which I feel mm-hmm. like they probably have very similar issues just in a different way because often when men grow up, we tell them, and when I say we, it's like we as in the way society raises them. Don't cry, don't be a sissy. Sure. Then we give them all of the girls' names. I don't even know why, but. That's just, mm-hmm. and then they have to be the bad boy in all of the movies. And I mean, you probably know it. Yeah. So how are you taking them to the point of no vulnerability at all to, okay, let me try to share something.
2: Yeah. So there, uh, I, I love this question. And as a leader, right, we're, we're tasked with the, you're only a leader if, if, if someone's following you, right? Like we have a lot of st- self-proclaimed leaders yeah but the only person following them is himself <laughs> yeah so <laughs> leadership is contingent <laughs> on, yeah. on people. Yeah. <laughs> when i was in my early 20s i was a worship pastor so I, I did some traveling around the country and i led worship i was a youth pastor that wore a lot of hats in the church and I would go to the conferences and i would come back and i would just absolutely destroy the morale of my church this is what we need to do this is how we need to do it everything we're doing is antiquated we need to get the young people like i'm just young 20 something who knows everything can't be taught just i've got the vision you need to go with me right not not even taking into consideration the demographic of the community that i was serving none of that i just had all the answers and one of my mentors, his name is Willie Davis, he sat me down and he said, I see you and I, I see what you're trying to do and it's good. Your heart is good, but nobody's going to follow you. And there was enough trust, right? We talk about trust, like kind of being the, being the glue that can hold that kind of accountability together. And I'm saying, nobody's going to follow you. And so Why? there's two types of leaders and so you're trying to lead someone up a mountain and it's a mountain that they've not traversed before you have you understand you know the pathway to get there the problem is right now you're standing on top of the mountain and you're screaming at us to climb we don't know why we're climbing we don't we don't know what's at the top of the mountain you're trying to tell us but we can't see it and when we can't see the vision when we can't see where you're trying to get us to go because it doesn't make sense to us We're not gonna follow you. We're just gonna become resentful because our feet are hurting. You're consistently yelling at us to catch up that we're not good if we don't go this path. I said, I get it. I've done that. I've been there. But then there's a second kind of leader. And that second kind of leader is one who has been to the mountaintop. And you'll recall the story. And so I use a lot of biblical illustrations because of my past, my history. And so there's a guy named Moses who goes to the top of the mountain and he gets these, these 10 rules to live by. And what does he do? He comes back down the mountain. And he says, okay, this is what I've been told. But I'm not just gonna tell you to do these things. I'm gonna walk with you, and we're gonna walk in exile, right? Not knowing that we're, but like, we're just gonna do this together. And so Willie saying, the leadership that is the most effective is when you come down from that mountain that you've already climbed, And you just need to be two, three steps ahead of us, but you're walking with us and you're showing us along the way what you learned here and what you learned here and what you learned here. And so now we can see it. So we trust you even more and we trust you even more because you're helping clear the brush and you're clearing the path in real time that you've already walked And So you're helping us to avoid the pitfalls, but you're still experiencing it with us. And so what I love about Brene and so many others like her is this idea this the style of leadership that is very very servant based but but there's there is an autonomy that i am owning what is mine to own but listen i don't have this figured out i've gone further ahead and now i'm coming back and i want to walk with you i'm not gonna i'm not gonna yell at you like i've got it all figured out like i fixed everything like i'm somehow perfect now and i think truly effective leadership is that right is even for you, it's not that you have to be 20 steps ahead of anyone at any given time. If you're three, that's great, right? Because now that gives me accessibility to be vulnerable and open because you're not presenting yourself as somebody who has all their shit together all the time. You're somebody who's real and accessible and you feel too. Some of my most viral content, I got a lot of content that just goes crazy, it's always when I'm sharing about my family, sharing about what it is to be a dad. I posted a picture of me just in tears sobbing because I was just so emotionally drained because I'm very empathetic So I carry a lot of what my clients are experiencing and it became too much one day And shared that like hey just because i'm really extroverted and charismatic doesn't mean that i'm always happy Mm. and I think it's the, the the paradigm of Walking in surety of who you are and who you're called to be so everything that you do all of your habits regardless of how you feel like you you apply yourself to a a rigorous outline of Ensuring that you become who you say you're going to become by the things that you do because feelings follow actions so there's that path but simultaneously giving yourself permission to feel in the process of, of what this, again, chrysalis experience of the butterfly, the pain of the transformation, what that really is and not burying it, being very honest with it.
1: Yeah. And I think a lot of people, they just miss the train of coming back down from the mountain. They climb sure. it and they're like, Oh, I just put my flag up here. This is how you follow me. I'll be on the next mountain and, and off they go. Mm-hmm. and I think it's so important to understand it's what I call leadership from within, because I also don't I kind of don't 100% buy into leading by example because a lot of times that can be taken quite literally and if people kind of um if there are trying to build teams and they want to outsource a delegate or whatever it is and then they start leading by example they think like they have to work the same on the same things for just as long as their team members and I think they just sometimes misunderstand that whole thing so I call it leadership from within because you want to lead yourself the way that you would lead other people basically right and so I think it's really important to understand where you're at and, and whom you can take with, with you and how you do that, basically. It's so, so important. I actually had a question that I now lost and it's happened uh, quite a bit, but um, that's totally fine. We <laughs> just go. That's honest. <laughs> yeah i mean that's what it is this podcast is not scripted so that we just take it a different route so i want to know you just mentioned something that that's why i actually lost my question (laughs) so you said you're really empath like empathic oh my god empathetic (laughs) thanks Not being native English sometimes breaks my tongue. So, and you take a lot on from the world. So now you said you're an extrovert. I'm an omni-word. So that means I'm a, if I'm around like two people, I'm really extroverted. If it's going to be a hundred, um, thanks, opting out of that.
2: Sure.
1: <laughs> so social distancing right now. So we are recording March 31st just to that everyone know out there and for me that's kind of life as usual mm-hmm. and i want to know just because you mentioned that you were posting about it but how are you dealing with that on a daily basis taking on all of these emotions but also energies and how you deal on a spiritual level with it when i don't know if you feel the energies out there the shifts do you know that there are shifts? So sure. how are you moving through that whole thing?
2: Yeah. Well, anytime, anytime there's an unknown, right? And, and we're in that, we're in a season of unknown, and we're in a season of day by day finding new things out, and new adaptations are made in real time by political leaders and by global leaders to uh, for what we what we can only assume is the greater good of humanity, right? Uh, But with that comes a lot of uh, a lot of Very real very practical unknowns job loss like security loss Uh, There are people whose health uh, is compromised for us Not a lot within the framework of our house has changed like we work from home One of our daughters is homeschooled the other goes to a private school. So she's home now but she was homeschooled for two and a half years so they're doing their schoolwork right now. They follow the same schedule that they've always followed. Nothing has changed for us because we already had all of those habits in place. So we take some more precautions. Both of our kids are immune compromised. So one has asthma, the other has cerebral palsy, autism and a seizure disorder. So her getting a fever sends her to the ICU anyway. So we have to be very, very careful. So outside of that, holding the space for for those who this dis Has I mean, make no mistake it affects everyone but for those who their entire lives have been disrupted By this and so for me, it's not about having the right answers because nobody has the right answers Mm -hmm. There is no there is no right answer. There is only useful and healthy Responses to what you can control and letting go of what you can't so helping people manage their emotions through a very real-time crisis Again, focusing on what you can control, focusing on what brings about positive uh, mental attitude and health. You know, daily six is what we call it. We have meditation, affirmation, visualization, moving your body, right? drinking water, uh, making sure that you're you're taking care of yourself and filling up your cup, making sure that you're grounding every day, go put your feet on the ground and make sure that you're connecting to what is, what is real, right? Disconnecting from some things that maybe aren't like perhaps being on social media 24 hours a day, perhaps watching the news, which all has its own agenda. Maybe, maybe that's good in doses, but not for the majority. Mm -hmm. So we've got people who are transitioning to home who don't know really what to, like kind of Ricky Bobby moment. Like I don't know what to do with my hands right now. Like I, uh, my kids feel like it's summer break. I still have a business to run or I'm still an employee. Like, how do I migrate all of that to the home? How do I mitigate expectations with my kids and with my spouse? So for me, it's helping adjust and pivot in real time while setting real, realistic expectations and managing those expectations for everyone.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Man, expectations. Let's talk about that a little bit. <laughs> That's the real deal out there. I think a lot of people... And I'm not, when I say a lot of people, please always know that I include myself. I don't want to take myself out of it. So, for a very long time, I think my expectations have been so unrealistic, especially when it came to kind of like other people, as in friends, especially as a German. <laughs> I want to say the way we built uh, friendships is very different from other cultures and having been in 44 countries traveling a lot living in eight countries it's been very real experiments sometimes as well to see how well can I connect with people and how can I kind of keep those relationships up and it's shown that um not only are Germans in the beginning very suspicious towards other people I guess maybe suspicious is the right word to say and others feel they're more distanced so I get a lot of people telling me they feel like Germans are more distanced than other people like Americans or Australian but then as soon you have a German as a friend like we are the real deal you know like if you tell me you're moving tomorrow I'll be there you don't have to ask me I'll move your house so it's like this type of, and then also we expect you to be there. If you don't, if you're not there, you know.
2: You well, don't. we're moving on Monday. Yeah. So if, if that's the way I'm going to expect, Kayla and I are going to expect you to be here on Monday. Right. If that's, yep, flying to Oklahoma Monday. Let me, let me <laughs> I'm see.
1: kidding. I'm in curfew <laughs> right here in Thailand. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure they let me out, <laughs> but uh, it would be fun. Imagine I just show up and be like you got yeah, a chairman friend right here. Hi. <laughs> hello. La-
2: <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, my wife wa- just walked onto the show. That's that's where the hello is.
1: I love it. So, <laughs> Kayla actually has a invitation I mentioned in the beginning. Kayla has an invitation that I'm sure she didn't answer quite yet.
2: No. <laughs> to be or she wants to feature you all on the show as well
1: oh heck yeah i'm totally down you're one of my favorite people on the internet <laughs> she makes me cry <laughs> all right okay it's only Fine. 40 degrees here 106 fahrenheit so i'm, wow. I'm not crying that's warm <laughs> right and we also have all of our forests on fires maybe i shouldn't say this out loud on the podcast because uh Maybe they're listening to me. Anyways, <laughs> that was a really nice surprise. Thanks for bringing her on.
2: I <laughs> yeah, well, she was asking if our daughter had gotten her medications this morning. So <laughs> it's, our, it's our morning routine.
1: Yeah, that's how it works with a family. Mm-hmm. I'm alone. So so, yeah, I... and
2: so again, the expectations, right? So for <laughs> us with clients and with, I, I talk to people all day long. This is yeah. This is what I do. And I should say, I listen all day long and then I'll talk for maybe five minutes. But with everyone, with everything that I do, whether I'm in a full suit and I am via Zoom walking uh, you know, a company through a process of team development, especially right now when we can't be in real time together, mm-hmm. or I'm like I am now in a flannel shirt and we're just having a conversation. There is always this expectation that I have set for myself, for clients that Hey, if at any point in time, my wife needs me, if my kids need something like they won't come in unless it's an emergency, but understanding that like, this is what we do. This is the life that we've created. If that doesn't fit into the paradigm of how you choose to experience life, that's fine. Just understand like, we're not going to bend for you.
1: And it's so important. Mm -hmm. It's so important. So now I want to ask you something a little bit more private. Okay. <laughs> I didn't, that sounds weird now. I well anyways, I have to scream for my own questions that I didn't even ask it. So don't worry, that's just me. <laughs> so okay. it has nothing to do with your private private life, but so when you left the church as a pastor, mm-hmm. did yeah. you also leave your beliefs behind? Did you change them? Did you mm-hmm. choose something new? What did you do?
2: So that's a really great great question
1: thanks
2: so the question is when i stepped out of the church did i step away from my faith as well and where am i today and this is a question that so many have asked but not as directly so i appreciate that you ask this very directly so when i stepped out of the church did i step away from my faith i did i did when when i stepped out of the church as a position I had a lot of questions. Mm-hmm. I, I had a I didn't have any cheap grace anymore. I had buried too many people. I had led too many funerals. There was so much trauma. There was anger. There was pain. There was there was so much that I I couldn't comprehend in the moment because I had been leading others in the midst of trying to migrate through my own season of dealing with trauma and loss. And there was a lot of frustration. And after burying an 18-month-old, after Ooh. burying a 19-year-old, after burying all of these family members, it was like, if, if this is, like, I've prayed the right prayers, I lived the life that was devoted, like, I did all the right things, like, this, doesn't, this isn't supposed to be how it is, which is a very arrogant way and a very naive way and a very elementary view of faith. And so I just didn't have, as Bonhoeffer would call it, I didn't have any cheap grace anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, this theologian that lived during World War II, has this book called The Cost of Discipleship, where he talks about this idea of cheap grace. And I just didn't have any more of it. I didn't have any more like, charismatic hands in the air singing about how great God is. Like All I had was pain. And so then there, there's the psalmist who says, like, even though I make my bed in hell, like where can I go that you are not there? And that's on the journey, full circle, that's where I ended up. But therefore, a year and a half, I pivoted pretty hard. And I went through a season of exploring every faith, of, of using my platform to say that, that Jesus was not the only way, that Christianity is not the only way, that it's an idea, that it's a perception of the way, and that's useful. I think that's good. But, but spirituality is just what one makes of it. And that confused a lot of people. It hurt a lot of people, hurt a lot of students. It wasn't responsible in the use of my platform But it was leading in the way that I knew which is to take people on the journey with me and some people That wasn't a narrative that they wanted to to believe or to hear from me. And so it cost me a lot it cost me a lot of relationships it cost me a lot of credibility It it caused people to question whether my walk with them was ever sincere and uh, That wasn't that was difficult, but it was it was a journey that I had to walk through and Jesus in scripture says that one has to lose his life to find it And I I think for me, that's that's where it came to like I lost every shred of identity. I had I I lost every relationship that I had and By my own doing like it wasn't that people just said peace uh, but by my actions by my words by the way that I showed up I just I drove a wedge in between and for me, I think it had to be that way and now coming full circle having studied other faiths and spiritualities and and studying law of attraction and and uh, metaphysics and and I come back to this place of Is the faith that I was raised on correct and I don't know that that's the that's the position that I take It is what's most useful for me Mm -hmm. It's what i've known the longest it's when I think of my grandfather And I think of him being at hospitals all the time visiting people and thinking of being at the church the earliest and leaving the latest And I think of him giving the shirt off his back for anyone who needed anything and he always pointed to jesus And I think to myself, there's a lot of things that I don't necessarily Resonate with in the bible. There are things that I don't think are actually historically Correct. And so I can't take it all at face value. But what I can take is that this idea of Jesus and this Jesus way of living that I can get behind And that way of loving people and being in service to people without the detriment of my own mental physical emotional spiritual health right that the way that I lead my family matters that the framework given by this ancient text this framework makes sense to me and my kids love it and my kids love going to church and it makes my wife come alive and so for those reasons okay like i don't have to have the sugar-coated super evangelical idea of faith that i had in my 20s when i had no life experience and i just had a lot of ideas and regurgitated messages, but now through legitimately, in, in the Great Divorce, C.S. Lewis says that that hell is real, but it is, it, and it's in it's it's a gate that is locked, but it's a gate that is locked from the inside. At any point, you can leave. And for so many of us, like, do I believe hell is real? I believe we make hell every day. I believe we live wow. in hell every day. That we oh, yeah. that we choose to not to not unlock the gate because we we want to either show up in a particular way that confirms a particular narrative that we say is true for ourselves out of fear of the unknown out of fear of like do I deserve to be happy what could that really look like what could it look like to live in abundance because I've been taught for so long that that's not the path for me and I've been taught for so long that that I am this way or that because I was raised like this that I am this way that because I've experienced this that I'm destined to a life of this like good things and prosperity and love and joy and kindness and peace and patience none of those things are available to me and so we keep that 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 door locked we keep that gate locked and we stay in the hell that we've created And so for me, it was recognizing I can stay here and I can continue to wander or I can open the gate and so I open the gate and so I, uh, I Would say that I'm I'm closer to my faith than I have ever been because I don't have to be anymore. It's not a job It's not it's not a checklist. It's not me leading others into their own spiritual awakening It was me every day saying I don't have this shit figured out any more than you do but just as i put faith in breathing and i put faith that when i step on my feet i'm going to stand upright with a daughter who has cp who might not always be the case like you look at things different i can have faith that there is a god that is bigger than me and i can have faith that these teachings do lead to a life of abundance but abundance might look different than i thought it did with a less mature idea of what faith is
1: Amen to that. I want to know something going full circle back, and then we're almost about to wrap it up. Yeah. You said you were leading, let me remember, 4,300 people.
2: Yeah. Oh, my men's group? Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. You have, your Americans have a funny way to say it. So, for a community? No, no, no. (laughs) The the numbers 4,300.
2: Do you say four thousand three hundred?
1: Yes, but that's yeah, Sherman. That's, I think
2: that's <laughs> I think that's just as just as applicable and, and easy to discern.
1: Right. So, anyways, yeah. that all of these people, yeah. what would you wish they would have asked you more of?
2: I don't know that it's what I wish they would ask me more of. I think with anyone, it's not what can you ask more of. It is. Because I don't think that more questions need to be asked. I think that we ask more questions because we believe things need to be more complicated to justify where we are right now. Because so long as I can keep, you know, listen, I, I, I'm the first to say that the level of success in every any area of life that you want to achieve, whatever that whatever that idea of success is to you, it, it's it is governed by the quality of questions that. You either ask yourself or that you are asked and how you respond in action to those questions. So I, I believe questions are are important and the quality of the questions determines the trajectory of our life and the ways that we answer and respond. But I also think that there are times when we ask too many questions because we want we want to use questions as a scapegoat to action. So, so long as I can keep asking questions and so long as I can keep seeking information, I can convince myself that that's action. I can convince myself that that's moving forward. Take your podcast. You could research launching a podcast for a year or you could imperfectly launch next week. And Figure it out along the way and that imperfect action will lead you toward your desired results faster So for so many I would say stop asking so many questions Start moving towards that which you desire with what you have in your hands and what you have in your head and what you have in your heart and along the way Develop the skill set of asking the right questions at the right time So often we ask questions that have nothing to do with a particular season that we're in we're future casting ten Steps ahead when those like those are the appropriate questions six months from now Right now Like what can we ask today? So it wouldn't be what do I wish they would ask more? It's never that it is Removing the idea that asking questions is action and what can I control today and what do I need to let go of today? What three things can I focus on today to move the vision of my life forward in whatever respected area versus getting caught in a like, psychosemantic, you know, mm. circular conversation with myself and others that feels like moving the needle forward, but really is nothing more than mental masturbation.
1: I love that. And we all know where that goes (laughs) into the tissue. Anyways, so (laughs) last two questions. Okay. We'll wrap it up with the uh, topic of the podcast. So what does efficiency mean to you?
2: Ooh, what does efficiency mean to me? Yes. Efficiency means being responsible with the vision and responsible with the execution of the vision, right? And so what I mean by that is efficiency in fitness, efficiency in relationships, efficiency in your finances, efficiency in your spirituality. Efficiency just means that you are clear on the outcome that you desire and you are clear on the processes necessary to reach that destination with the least steps possible.
1: I love that. Yeah, and it's focused one on of the my, result.
2: Yeah. yeah being, being result focused.
1: Right. Right. It's one of my favorite questions because I get, so I think I have so far 27 episodes down and I have 27 different mm-hmm. answers and I freaking love it. It's so amazing. Okay. Last question. If you would have to push the reset button or someone does, or uh, let's just say we would have a global pandemic, <laughs> that would be hilarious. Mm-hmm. It push the reset button, but you keep your knowledge that you have, which three things would you keep repeating, doing to get back to success?
2: Feeding my mind. So reading, journaling, meditating. Feeding my body, so proper nutrition, moving every single day, drinking lots of water, and feeding my relationships. So whether that be with my wife, my amazing wife, my amazing three kids, with those that are in my immediate circle or those that are without my immediate circle. I think on average right now, because of what's going on, I think I, I respond to close to 150 messages a day from people that I don't know. But that's kind of the nature of my platform. I'm I'm a very pastoral guy. So people reach out a lot But those three things the, the, Those three things are 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 the hinge of every success that I have Right. How, how am I treating myself? How am I treating what I believe to be true? And how am I treating the people around me? Th- those those are those are the frameworks
1: I love it so much Cody Thank you so, so, so much for having the time, for coming on, for bringing Kayla on, and um, yeah, for being here and sharing all of your insights with us today here.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It was an absolute honor. And if, uh, listener, if, if, you are, if you are looking to, uh, to create a conversation, I know that there's typically how can people find you and how can people reach out? And rather, I mean, you can go to my website. It's my name. Like it's, it's my name.com. But just find me on social media. You'll, like, I'm, a, I'm a regular guy who gets to do really amazing, extraordinary things all day. And as somebody who loves helping people tell a better story, it starts with knowing yours. So I would love, if you're listening to this and this has resonated with you and you want to take a conversation further, I love conversations. Shoot me a message and I would love to, I'd love to hear more about you and what makes you come alive.
1: Yes. And, uh, you know, I actually don't like how guests take away my last question. So Cody, where can people find you?
2: (laughs) (laughs) They can't, I'm rogue. I'm off the grid. (laughs) You cannot find me. No. So again, there's Cody jefferson.com, but you can also just go to Facebook and type in Cody Jefferson. You'll see a picture probably of myself and my wife. You can go to Cody underscore Jefferson on Instagram. You can find me on LinkedIn you can find me really anywhere, but again, just shoot me a personal message. Uh, you don't, awesome. There's no formal process, I'm not that guy.
1: <laughs> and the best way to find Cody is if you just scroll down somewhere where the show notes are, and we're gonna link his profiles there for you. And if there you, you do not want to talk to Cody, do yourself the <laughs> favor, just check him out. He also, and he did mention that I'm a little bit sad about that, he also has really cute. Puppies.
2: We have five French bulldogs, which it is more dogs than any anyone should have. But my wife loves them. We breed them, and she loves them. They're like family members to her. So happy wife, happy life. I have listen. I have two Harleys, which is more than than most people have. So Harleys are motorcycles, and I, I've, I've been a mechanic for my them, entire right? life. So listen, if I can have my Harleys, you can have all the damn dogs you want. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so again, if you, if you feel like you got everything out of this episode and you don't want to talk to Cody, but go check out the docs
2: Because everybody loves puppies and right now the world needs more smiles and nothing, right. nothing makes you smile like a French bulldog.
1: Some of them have a little cute bow.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Anyways, everyone, you see, I do stalk my guests once in a while or daily, depending how many French bulldogs they have. And uh, (laughs) (laughs) thanks again, Cody, for being here. It's been really a big pleasure. And wow, I hope we stay in contact, at least with puppy pictures. And I have baby elephants, if that helps.
2: That's amazing. We need to see more baby elephants as well.
1: Right. They don't have a bow, but uh, maybe in the future, (laughs) maybe in the future, we have one. (laughs) Well, everyone, you know what to do. Subscribe, follow along, find Cody, and shoot him a message.
0: You've been listening to Efficiency On Demand. On Demand. We hope you've learned that you, too, can unlock your ultimate potential, how to control your time, create some clarity in your crazy life, and how to live life limitless. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to the podcast and please follow on Instagram at TheMoniqueLindner. We'll see you next time on Efficiency on Demand with Monique. Remember to slow down to speed up.